We're turning tonight in our Bible to the book of Jeremiah. We're going to read in Jeremiah chapter 2. We'll read from verse 20 till the end of the chapter. You have your Bible there. Find the place. Jeremiah chapter 2, verse 20. For all online, the words again will appear on screen. As we have said so often, repeated every Lord's Day, we do encourage you to get a copy of the Bible. Read for yourself. And if you haven't got a copy, then please contact us and we'll give you one free. Let's hear the word of God. Jeremiah chapter 2. Quite a long reading tonight, so I ask you bear with us. Let's read the word of God carefully. And allow the book to speak to us. Jeremiah chapter 2 verse 20. For of old time I have broken thy yoke and burst thy bands. And thou saidest, I will not transgress. When upon every high hill and under every green tree thou wanderest, playing the harlot. Yet I had planted thee a noble vine, holy a right seed. How then art thou turned into a degenerate plant of a strange vine unto me? For though thou wash thee with nitre, and take thee much soap. Yet thine iniquity has marked before me, saith the Lord God. How canst thou say I am not polluted? I have not gone after Balaam. See the way in the valley. Know what thou hast done. Thou art a swift dromedary transversing her ways. A wild ass used to the wilderness that snuffeth up the wind at her pleasure. In her occasion, who can turn her away? All they that seek her will not weary themselves. In her mouth, they shall find her. Withhold thy foot from being unshod, and thy throat from thirst. But thou saidest there is no hope. No, for I have loved strangers, and after them will I go. As the thief is ashamed when he is found, so is the house of Israel ashamed. They, their kings, their princes, and their priests, and their prophets, saying to a stock, thou art my father, and to a stone thou hast brought me forth, for they have turned back unto me and not their face. But in the time of their trouble they will arise and say, Arise and save us. But where are thy gods that thou hast made thee? Let them arise, if they can save thee in the time of thy trouble. For according to the number of thy cities are thy gods, O Judah. Wherefore will ye plead with me? Ye have all transgressed against me, saith the Lord. In vain have I smitten your children. They receive no correction. Your own sword hath devoured your prophets like a destroying lion. O generation, see ye the word of the Lord. Have I been a wilderness unto Israel, a land of darkness? Wherefore say my people, we are lords. We will come no more unto thee. Can a maid forget her ornaments, or a bride her attire? 
Yet my people have forgotten me days without number. Why trimmest thou thy way to seek love? Therefore hast thou also taught the wicked one thy ways. Also in thy skirts is found the blood of the souls of the poor innocents. I have not found it by secret search, but upon all these. Yet thou sayest, because I am innocent, surely his anger shall turn from me. Behold, I will plead with thee, because thou sayest I have not sinned. Why gaddest thou about so much to change thy way, that thou also shalt be ashamed of Egypt, as thou wast ashamed of Assyria? Yea, thou shalt go forth from him, and thine hands upon thine head, for the Lord hath rejected thy confidences, and thou shalt not prosper in them. Amen. We know the Lord will stamp with his own approval and blessing this reading of his own precious and infallible word. Now my text tonight is taken from the latter part of Jeremiah chapter 2 and verse 37. It says, for the Lord hath rejected thy confidences and thou shalt not prosper in them. Now, my theme tonight is based in this text of Scripture. I've entitled it, The Lord's Rejection of Every False Confidence. Jeremiah is better known as the weeping prophet. And here he is addressing the people of Judah. It's during the reign of King Josiah. And as he proclaims the word of the Lord, he uses the imagery of a courtroom. He thinks of a judge on the bench. He thinks of a criminal in the dock. He's thinking of the prosecuting attorney pressing the case. He's thinking about the invitation to the defense to rebut what the prosecuting attorney is saying. And as the prosecuting attorney over Judah in the Lord's name, he is saying to them, Thus saith the Lord. And he asks this question, What iniquity have your fathers found in me? Listen to what the priests were saying. Chapter 2, verse 8. The priests said not, where is the Lord? And they that handled the law knew me not. The pastors also transgressed against me. And the prophets prophesied by Baal and walked after things that do not profit. They asked again, where is the Lord that brought us up out of the land of Egypt? And in verse 9, we read, Wherefore I will yet plead with you, saith the Lord, and with your children's children will I plead. In light of these questions, I will yet plead with you and plead with your children's children. You see, Jeremiah is pleading with the land of Judah in the name of the Lord as a collective unit because they're under the heavy hand of the Lord's judgment. But he not only pleads with the land collectively, he pleads with individuals. He's pleading with the people. Listen to what he says in chapter 2, verse 29. Wherefore will ye plead with me? Ye have all transgressed against me saith the Lord. You see, there's a lament here. You've all transgressed against me. There's a legal case being set forth. There's, there's a, a, an oracle that's being pronounced against them. Jeremiah's heart and mind is full of the Lord. 
He brings a very specific revelation of who the Lord is, what he is like, and what he's done, and what he's doing. Look at chapter 2, verse 35. Yet thou sayest, because I'm innocent, surely his anger shall turn from me. Behold, I will plead with thee, because thou sayest, I have not sinned. You see, at the heart of this case was a very basic and fundamental question, and it was this, who or what are you trusting in? Think of these words in verse 37. The Lord hath rejected thy confidences. In other words, the Lord has rejected all that you're trusting in. There's 39 references to the word confidence in the Bible. The first is in Judah chapter 9, verse 26. Gaal, the son of Ebed, came with his brethren and went to Shechem, and the men of Shechem put their confidence in him. We could also think of Proverbs 3 and 26. For the Lord shall be thy confidence and shall keep thy foot from being taken. We could think about Hebrews chapter 10 and verse 35. Cast not away your confidence, which hath great recompense of reward. And also, the last reference to the word confidence in the Bible is found in 1 John chapter 5, and it says this, and this is the confidence that we have in him, that if we ask anything according to his will, he heareth us. Now, if we were going into the law of biblical hermeneutics, which is the science of interpretation of the scriptures, we would have to think about the first reference to the word confidence. And what's the last reference the reference there, the first reference is put their confidence in him. And then we go to forward references. And here's one of them. For the Lord shall be thy confidence and shall keep thy foot from being taken. And the last reference, and this is the confidence that we have in him. And that helps us to understand what the word confidence is really all about. It's not that the Lord has just rejected your follies or your doubts or your backslidings or your sins. That would be bad enough. But the Lord has rejected all your confidences, all that you're trusting him because what you're trusting him is not trusting in him. And there's a vast difference. If we put the question in a colloquial sense, in whom or what do you trust? That's what we're thinking about tonight. The Lord's rejection of every false confidence. Now, learn firstly, the Lord hath rejected thy confidence of self-righteousness. Look with me at chapter 2 and verse 35. Yet thou sayest, because I'm innocent, surely his anger shall turn away from me. Behold, I will plead with thee because thou sayest I have not sinned. Notice these phrases, I am innocent, I have not sinned. Link it up with verse 23. How can thou sayest I am not polluted, I have not gone after Balaam? You see, the children of Judah felt confidence and good about themselves. They felt confident and good in themselves in regard to their own self-righteousness. They were fully persuaded in their own mind of their innocent. They, they protested, we haven't sinned. We are innocent of this charge, of any charge. 
We, we are not polluted. You can't charge us with idolatry or immorality or iniquity because we're going to pronounce we're not guilty. You see, they're so full of themselves. They're so proud and wrapped up in their own mindset, their plans, their program for government, their uh, reliance upon Egypt and, uh, and Assyria. And what they needed to understand was that the Lord rejects all self-confidence in the flesh. Do you know there in Jeremiah chapter 9 and verse 23, we read these words in verse 24. Jeremiah chapter 9, 23 and 24. Thus saith the Lord, let not the wise man glory in his wisdom, neither let the mighty man glory in his might, nor let the rich man glory in his riches, but let him that glorieth glory in this, that he understandeth and knoweth me, that I am the Lord which exercise loving kindness and judgment and righteousness in the earth. For in all these things I delight, saith the Lord. And Jeremiah chapter 9, 23, 24 was quoted by the Apostle Paul way over there in 1 Corinthians. And you can read it there in 1 Corinthians chapter 1, right through from verse 26, right through to verse 31. You see, here's a biblical principle no flesh will glory in his presence. The Apostle Paul testified, In my flesh dwelleth no good thing. He later testified, The flesh profiteth nothing. He said in Philippians chapter 3 and 3 that he had no confidence in the flesh. Remember, he's a converted Pharisee. And before his conversion, he was a Pharisee of the Pharisees. He had total confidence in himself. He was full of fleshly confidence in his own self-righteousness. If we begin to analyze the human heart for a moment, Jeremiah 17 and 9 says, The heart is deceitful and above all things desperately wicked. Who can know it? And the heart of the problem is the problem of the human heart. And how many are so full of self-righteousness that there's a refusal to acknowledge they're born a sinner like the psalmist, Behold, I was shaped in iniquity and sin did my mother conceive me. A refusal to acknowledge that they live a sinful life before God and men because the Bible says for all have sinned and come short of the glory of God with no exception. There's a refusal to acknowledge the need to confess sin. Doesn't the Bible say if we confess our sins, he is faithful and just to forgive us our sins and to cleanse us from all unrighteousness? It's a refusal to acknowledge the need to repent of sin. The psalmist says, I was truly sorry for my sin. That was a, a godly sorrow. And he was willing to repent, to, to stop his sinning. Sorry enough to quit. The soul's divorce from sin. Remember the Lord Jesus said, Except ye repent, ye shall likewise perish. And here's Jeremiah the prophet, as the prosecuting attorney in the courtroom. And he's saying to Judah and its people, its king, its princes, its governors, its magistrates, its prophets, its priests, how can you say, I am not polluted? I have not sinned. And yet, isn't that what many are saying within themselves or outwardly in Northern Ireland tonight? Well, what is sin? Sin is any want of conformity unto a transgression of the law of God. Many think to themselves, well, I'm not a murderer. I'm not a thief. I'm not an adulterer. I'm not a homosexual. And they think to themselves, well, if good people are going to heaven... 
I'll be one of the first to go there. But let me ask the question. To all who think and say that. Have you kept the Ten Commandments perfectly? Some will glibly reply, yes we have. Let me ask this question. Have you ever told a lie? What do you call a person who tells lies? The answer is a liar. Have you ever stolen anything? Some people will answer no. But they remember that maybe as a boy or a girl they stole some sweets out of a shop or stole somebody's pencil from their desk or their pen. And what do you call someone who steals? You call them a thief. Have you ever looked at someone with lust? Most men and maybe even women will say, well, yes, who hasn't? And yet Jesus said, he that looketh on a woman lustfully hath committed adultery already with her in his heart. Have you ever cursed the name of God? Have you ever blasphemed God's name? You see, by many's admission, whenever they think of the Ten Commandments, They're confessing that they've told lies, that they have stole something in the past, that they have blasphemed, and they have an adulterous heart, and they've broken four of the Ten Commandments. And then they'll maybe go further and say, but wait a wee minute now, nobody's perfect. But, But it's worse than that. It's not just that you've broken four of the commandments. Sin is not just about doing things that we shouldn't do. Sin is also about not doing the things that we should do. It's about not loving God with all our heart, soul, mind, and strength. Remember, whatsoever is not of faith is sin. So all unbelief is sin. Not believing in him is sin. Suppose tonight I had a device to record every thought, every word, and every deed for one day of your life. And play it on a screen for all to see. You would probably feel pretty embarrassed. You'd be upset. You'd be annoyed. But you know, the Bible says, God knoweth the secrets of the heart. Psalm 44 and 20. And yes, in comparison to others, you're like a saint. And you feel that. But you're not measured by the standard of other people. You're measured by the standard of God's law. Suppose you just sin in thought and word and deed five times a day. 365 multiplied by 5, 1,825. 1,825 sins. Suppose you live to your 70. Then you've broken God's law 127,000 times. And you'll answer for each sin in the day of judgment. The Bible says then every one of us shall give an account of himself to God, Romans 14 and 12. And maybe you're thinking, well, well, wait a wee minute. God will just forgive me in that day. I want to tell you, listen to me carefully, he won't. Try that in a courtroom. Your honor, I have broken the law, but just forgive me. Let it slide your honor. Well, a corrupt judge might, but a careful judge would know that justice demands payment for the broken law. And you see, God is the righteous judge, and God is holy, and God is just, and God hates sin, and God demands that sin is judged. If I asked the question tonight, 
What's the one way to get to heaven? The answer would have to come from John chapter 3 and verse 17 and 18. Listen to the word of God. This is what the Bible says. John 3, 17 and 18. For God sent not his Son into the world to condemn the world, but the world through him might be saved. He that believeth in him is not condemned. But he that believeth not is condemned already, because he had not believed in the name of the only begotten Son of God. And over there in the Gospel of Matthew, in Matthew chapter 13, and in the verse 42, the Lord Jesus said this, And shall cast them into a furnace of fire. There shall be wailing and gnashing of teeth. You see, the only way to get to heaven and avoid this awful place called hell is for a sinless person to come along and take your place. And that's exactly what happened in the gospel. Jesus Christ was that sinless person. And the Bible says here in his love, not that we love God, but that he loved us and sent his son to be a propitiation for us. But when we were without strength in due time, Christ died for the ungodly. He took the sinner's place. And I would urge you, because the Lord hath rejected thy self-righteousness, to humble yourself before the Lord acknowledge you're born a sinner, that you've lived a sinless life, you need to confess your sin, and you need to repent of it and be sorry enough and put your trust in Christ that you might be saved. You see, without Christ, there's no hope. See, your case, like the case of Judah, is desperate. And the danger you're in is this, if you reject him and you turn away from this sin-hating God, because sin is real. And God's justice is real. And God's holiness is real. And God's wrath is real. And God's hell is real. You know, I hear people saying, but you shouldn't preach in hell because you're going to scare people. The Lord Jesus preached in hell. This is what he said. Fear not them that can kill the body, but rather fear him that hath power to destroy both body and soul in hell. Matthew chapter 10, verse 28. Billy Graham was asked this question one time. What is hell? This is how he described it. A beautiful golf course, rolling greenway, really well manicured, a man with a, a club in his hand, the tee in the green, but he hasn't got a ball to play with. And he said, that's hell. I want to tell you that's a lie. That is totally totally wrong. And even though I had a great respect for Billy Graham and his writings in the early days, and viewed him as a man of God who was fundamental and true to the blood in the book, somehow, somewhere down the line, he got waylaid, and he took his eyes of what is truth. Because we don't read that in the Bible. It's an awful place of weeping and wailing and gnashing of teeth. A burning lake of fire. The rich man is there. Judas is there. Cain is there. A fire that's never quenched. A torment that's not reduced. An eternity as long as God lives with no exit. Maybe you're thinking, but am I really that bad and really that desperate that I could end up there? And the answer is yes, because the Lord hath rejected thy confidence of self-righteousness. Let me tell you something else. The Lord hath rejected thy confidence in secure riches. Look at verse 31 of Jeremiah chapter 2. It's a very interesting statement here that Jeremiah the prophet makes in Jeremiah chapter 2 and verse 31. Notice what he says. 
He says this, Jeremiah 2 and verse 31. O generation, see ye the word of the Lord. Have I been a wilderness unto Israel, a land of darkness? Wherefore say my people, we are lords. We will come no more unto thee. We are lords. What are they saying? We're now the land of gentry. We're now secure. We won't see or know sorrow. We'll never be brought to hardship or poverty. You see, it's the Lord that gives men and women health and strength, the ability to breathe and live out their life. It's the Lord that gives men and women their wealth. It's the Lord that makes the millionaires and the billionaires. It's the Lord that gives men and women their station in life. So they say with the psalmist, the lions are fallen under me in pleasant places. And men and women, sadly, many of them are strengthened in their earthly position, strengthened in their station in life. And they think we are rich people in this world. We, we can live independently of the Lord. We don't require or we don't need him. Let me tell you this little story. man lived in Donegadee. I visited his home and knocked the door. I was there to give him an invitation to the house of God in Donegadee, a little gospel tract. I remember him coming out and he started to talk to me. And then he said to me this, this is my house. I own it. Those are my cars. He had a couple of BMW cars in the driveway. That's my boat over there. And that's the granny flat. The mother-in-law lives in there. And I have a good job and I'm financially secure. And you have a real cheek to come to my door and say, I, I need the Lord. I need to be saved. Young man, I don't need God. I have everything without God. And I thought, what a fool. Because here's an individual taking all the benefits and bounty that the Lord gives them. Health, strength and wealth, a station in life. He takes it all. And yet this man is so foolish to think and feel that I got this without the Lord. And therefore I don't need God. We are lords. Remember what Job said over there in Job 31 and verse 24. Listen to these words. Job 31 and 24. It has to do with riches. He said this, if I have made gold my hope or have said to the fine gold, thou art my confidence. We are lords. We have got fine gold. That's our confidence. We do not need the Lord. Look at what we have attained. You see, it's all a false Confidence. What's the attitude of the rich fool? Luke 12 and 19. What was his mindset? Eat, drink, and be merry, for tomorrow you die. Was he not full of carnal security? Was he not secure in his riches and full of worldly pleasure? And we could said to him, Jesus said, Thou fool, this night shall be thy soul shall be required of thee, because the Lord has been good to thee. And what if he took it all away? What if the Lord took away? The measure of health and strength left you in a bed of illness. What if the Lord took away your wealth and reduced you to poverty and you had no material possessions? What if the Lord took away your station and your privileges? The Bible says how hard it is for a rich man to enter into the kingdom of heaven. It's not impossible. 
But for that rich man to enter into the kingdom of heaven, that, that rich man has to humble himself. He has to admit he's got a soul. He's a sinner. And he, he needs to get right with the Lord. And the only way he can get right is repent and receive Christ as Lord and Savior. Didn't Jesus talk about the rich man entering in through the eye of a needle? The eye of a needle has nothing to do with a sewing needle. It's a, it's a gate in the main gate of the city. And of course, for a camel to get through it, he had to kneel down. And all the baggage had to be taken off by the merchant man and carried in by hand. That, that's the picture. A picture of humility, a picture of honesty. The rich people sadly find it hard to confess their sin and the need of Christ. There are some. We thank God for the sum. But many find it so difficult. The Lord have rejected thy confidence and secure riches. Let me tell you this. The Lord have rejected thy confidence in spiritless rulers. I'm amazed as I read through Jeremiah 2 again how Judah had a bent towards the false prophet. Men who were supposed to be Spirit-filled rulers turned out to be spiritless rulers. Look at chapter 2, verse 8. What does he say there? Chapter 2, verse 8. The priest said not, where is the Lord? And they that handled the law knew me not. The pastors also transgressed against me. And the prophets prophesied by Baal and walked after things that do not profit. Do you get the picture? The priests at the altar said not, where is the Lord? The prophets that handled the law, they don't know me. They walk after Baal. The pastors, they preach and teach the word of God. But as they do so, they transgress against me. Supposed to be shepherds of the flock. These proclaimers, the priests, the prophet, the pastors, they're all false. They're spiritless men. They're not saved. They're not born again of the Holy Spirit. And when Judah listened to them collectively, when the people listened individually. They were not disturbed. They were not alarmed. There seemed a natural inclination to the false prophet. And the reality is these false prophets were spiritually adulterers. They had prostituted the truth of divine revelation. And isn't that true about false teachers in our day? They don't preach in sin. They won't talk about adultery or about gluttony or about sodomy or, or, or thieving or, or murder. They not protest against the evil or wickedness of abortion. You see, isn't it strange that they're more akin to modern day psychologists? What do they blame? I'll tell you what they blame. A difficult childhood. The child failed to bond with father and mother. Poor education. It's the school's fault. I blame the teacher. She was ignorant. Uh, poor housing. Uh, a difficult uh, housing problem. No real wealth growing up. Uh, terribly hurt and traumatized by something that happened. Inherited a bad situation. Got a raw deal. The death of mummy or the death of daddy. And you know that may be all true in the life of children. And some children have it very hard growing up. And we should think about them. We should pray for them. We should love the little children. But so many today have such little sense of sin. And I hear these false preachers, don't preach in hell. There's no such thing or place. 
Don't believe the Bible to be infallible or inerrant as the word of God. Don't believe in the incarnation, the virgin birth, the sinless life, atoning death. Don't believe in the eternal sonship of Christ. You see, isn't it so hard to get a hearing today for Jesus Christ and the gospel? And the false prophets, the false teacher, seem every time when they go into an area, they have it easy. In other words, they come with a stupid, crazy, false idea. They present a certain scheme. They, they represent a particular sect. And they draw hundreds of people in a short time. They even draw thousands. People that are educated and sincere and religious. Remember 2 Peter 2, 1 and 2 calls us to beware of false teachers. He tells us in verse 2 that many follow their pernicious ways. These false teachers have their own way of salvation. They bypass Christ and the cross. They urge confidence in a man. And they lead you to a, a new religious experience. If you listen to Judah, Jeremiah chapter 2, 27, he says, Saying to a stock, thou art my father, and to a stone thou hast brought me forth. What does that mean? It means they've set up an idol, a wooden idol. A stone idol And they're bowing down to that And they're saying to the stone you're, you're my God You're my spiritual father You're the one that brought me up out of Egypt See false teachers are light in sin They attack the toning work of Christ If you ask them what think you of Christ You won't get an answer They, they challenge the unique inspiration And inerrancy of the Bible And what's the best advice In relation to um, the uh, spiritless rulers and having confidence in them. Well, the best advice is what the psalmist said in Psalm uh, 118 and verses 8 and 9. And listen to what the Word of God says there. Psalm 118, verses 8 and 9. Let me read it to you. It says this. It is better to trust in the Lord than to put confidence in man. It is better to trust in the Lord than to put confidence in princes. That's the middle theme of the Bible. That's the advice. Very quickly, our time is gone. The Lord has rejected thy confidence in strong resources. If you look at verse 36 of Jeremiah 2, it says this. Why gaddest thou about so much to change thy way? Thou also shalt be ashamed of Egypt as thou was ashamed of Assyria. You see, they turn to Egypt for help. They turned to Assyria for help. They were saying to these countries, when attacked, protect us. But Egypt and Assyria were their ancient enemies. It's like a lamb going to the wolf and saying, Mr. Wolf, protect me from the lion. And they fell prey to Egypt and Assyria. So they had confidence in strong resources. But they were tricked. They were let down. Also here, fifthly, the Lord had rejected thy confidence in strange rituals. Look at verse 22. It says in Jeremiah 2 and 22, For though thou wash thee with nitre, and take thee much soap, yet thine iniquity is marked before me, saith the Lord God. You see, Judah had external ways to deal with her sin and guilt. External riches of religion. Let's just wash outwardly with nitre. Let's use much soap, but the Lord says, your iniquity is marked before me. It's like washing the outside of the cup and forgetting about what's inside. 
Now, I don't wash dishes very often, but I was asked to wash a few dishes because a, a switch had gone in the dishwasher and it had to be repaired and I was washing a particular cup and then um, I was told that cup's not clean and I'm saying, what's wrong with it? I've looked the outside of it, but when I looked in the inside, it was all tasty and it was all brown. And of course, it wasn't clean at all. And I was just thinking of that, washing on the outside, but forgetting about what's on the inside. And if people say I have no sin and I have no guilt, then the easy way to have it relieved is I have no need to feel guilty about my sin. And they'll go through some external ritual, whether it's baptism or confirmation, or maybe a decision to come up an aisle and, and, and trust Christ and sign a card. And they'll feel good, but here's the question, is their life changed? Are they a new creature? The Bible says, if any man be in Christ, is a new creature. All things have passed away and all things have become new and all things are of God. And let me say this in closing. These five rejected confidences that people trust in. What the Lord rejects, it's foolish to be confident in. What are you trusting in? Self-righteousness, secure riches, spiritless rulers, strong resources, strange rituals. You're heading out towards God's eternity and you're thinking, I'm not going to die. Death won't touch me. I'll never be judged. I'll not be tormented in the flames. I'll not see the collapse of the United Kingdom. I'll never be enslaved. I'll never be captured. That's what Judas and his people were thinking. We're secure. We're okay. It's not going to happen to us. But they were being foolish. You think of our day. How many people feel good about themselves, confident in their external lifestyle, their religion, their riches, and all the rest. And they think, they feel, they hope. God is love, and he is, but he's pure, holy, eternal, infinite love. And that love causes him to hate sin and call for judgment on the sinner. The soul that sinneth, it shall die. How many have lost sight of him? They don't know him as he's revealed in the scriptures. Imagine meeting God in the judgment and then telling him all of your confidences and him saying, I reject all your confidences. And the only true ground of confidence is the personal work of Christ. What's the last reference to the word confidence in the Bible? This is the confidence that we have in him. It's confidence in him. The very one that you've rejected. The very saviour you have refused. He's the only true ground of confidence. And if you think of the context of that particular scripture. And with this we're through. It says there in 1 John chapter 5 and in the verse 13. Listen to these words. These things have I written unto you that believe in the name of the Son of God that you may know you have eternal life and that you may believe in the name of the Son of God. And this is the confidence we have in him. In him's a reference to Christ, the Son of God, the only Savior of sinners. This verse closes, this chapter closes with this thought. He that believeth on the Son hath everlasting life have you faith in him tonight are you trusting alone in the only saviour of sinners I trust that you are because that's the only ground of confidence that God will accept the Lord hath rejected thy confidence